Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly conversation about the Camino de Santiago, or in English, the Way of St. James, a series of ancient pilgrimages across Europe. The crowning moment of your journey takes you to the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James in the majestic cathedral in the town square in Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. I know there are pilgrims listening today who have walked many Caminos. Some have just arrived home. Some are on the Camino listening to me right now. Some are beneath an umbrella in a small town enjoying a cold cerveza, wondering about their wandering. We're all on some sort of journey. It's the passage of time. The clock stops for no one. Pilgrims understand there's a great urgency to forget urgency. A rush to remember. This is no rush. We are, after all, in this together. If you're listening to me this week from somewhere around the world, somewhere along the way, remember the words of the American writer and poet Jack Kerouac. He said, there was nowhere to go, but everywhere. A very special episode of the podcast this week. If you're planning on walking or have finished walking or have walked many times, chances are you have a copy of John Briley's Camino Guide, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Camino de Santiago. I have my own copy here in front of me, bird and battered, fingered and fussed. John Briley is on the line from the UK. Welcome, Pilgrim. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, Dan. I just wonder how the Camino first came into your life. Well, uh, it probably comes into many people's lives this way. Uh, I'm uh, 39 years old. I've got 2.2 children, which apparently is the ideal number. My life is, um, in all senses, ideal. Uh, um, I'm top of the chain. I run my own company in Dublin, and everything is rosy, except it isn't rosy. And my life seems incredibly empty, and I'm facing an existential crisis who am I? What on earth is this life about? Um, and that uh, that year um, brings me on to the Camino to try and find some answers. At the bottom of the front cover of your guide, it says, a practical and mystical manual for the modern-day pilgrim. How do you define a pilgrim? Well, I think a pilgrim is anybody who is essentially... Um, has put themselves on a path of self-discovery. It's a path of discovery, but specifically um, with with a pilgrim, it's uh, the answering or a, a path of inquiry of those, you know, big existential questions. Who am I? You know, where am I going? Where did I come from? Those classic questions. That's a pilgrim. A pilgrim is somebody asking the big questions. So how does a modern day pilgrim differ from pilgrims of yesteryear? Were they asking those same questions? I think they were asking exactly the same questions. I think, you know, I think the the, the classic question, who am I? That is, who am I uh, behind and beyond the persona, my story, you know, guidebook writer, um, father of three children. Behind that story, who am I? Uh, behind John Briley, who am I? Who, who, who's, the, who's the big I behind all this? Who's the observer of this journey that I'm on? And I think that that search is the same for the medieval pilgrim 
just as it is for the modern day pilgrim. I think we, we the, the um, problems that the medieval pilgrim faced are rather different from our own, but we each have our own uh, uh, age brings us our problems. Our biggest one today is the busyness of life, not to suggest that the medieval pilgrim wasn't busy, but we have so much access with, uh, you know, with media, with the internet, with uh, mobile phones. We, you know, we, we, we're almost never disconnected uh, from the busyness of life. And I do think that one of the crucial aspects of the, that the Camino can offer us is time out from that familiar, busy background. I think that's where the real alchemy happens, is when we clear space, um, clear our minds, and allow some new insights to drop in. Yeah, and I'm going to get to that in a little while. I just wonder, you talked there about medieval pilgrims. What can modern-day pilgrims learn from pilgrims of, say, 500 years ago? Well, I think um, the... Uh, it's a sense of a dedication, a sense of a, um, uh, you know, a higher purpose or function behind. Mm-hmm. You see, I think the uh, where, um, and it, it, this is absolutely not making a judgment because I believe that everybody who places their foot on the Camino, something inevitably happens. I was on a uh, the, the BBC a couple of years ago on a sort of a celebrity uh, shoot. And it's amazing, and there were four atheists um, out of the uh, seven uh, group. Um, But, you know, at the end of the journey, something had happened. They all agreed, you know, well, we're not quite sure what, but something has moved, something is different. So I think uh, the medieval pilgrim, I don't think had that. uh, um, I, I think there was a much deeper sense of, a faith in the that the journey would bring them closer to the answer, whereas today uh, it's uh, you know we've got four weeks off. What do we do? Well, let's go for a holiday. Oh, people are talking about the um, about the Camino de Santiago. So the question is how to turn the the holiday into holidays. Um, and I think the pilgrim didn't have that. The medieval pilgrim didn't have that um, disturbance, if you like. Yeah, great answer. How did you? How did you though find yourself on this journey? You told us uh, earlier that you were looking for something and, and found yourself at thirty nine years old. But what about the journey as a guide? Um, and, ah. and 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 if you wouldn't mind, John, just tell us the, the day that you first heard about the Camino de Santiago. Well, I first joined that, that um, you know, my what I grandly call my existential crisis year. Um, I uh, convinced my partners in business back in Dublin that I needed time out, so we negotiated a year off. So I was now on a you know a sabbatical, um, and uh, uh, bought a camper van, uh, my, put my family in it, and off we went to discover for Dad to discover the world. For us to all have an adventure, mm-hmm. um, I knew something was up. I didn't understand what was up or what was happening, but we headed off. And um, fairly early on in that year, we found ourselves in the camper van um, in a little um, campsite down by the river, right in the heart of a little town called Saint Jean Pierre de Port. Mm. And there were these people heading off across the bridge that we could see from my campsite. 
um, with backpacks and the shell on it. And so in a sense, that was the first time I knew, what on earth, what's, what's, I had never, I even then I didn't hear about it. I just saw pilgrims walking with backpacks. Well, I didn't even know there were pilgrims, but there were a lot, there were a lot of people with backpacks. And then we headed up, uh, you know, the, the, the route and found ourselves in Ronces, Ronces Vias. And, uh, you know, it's something, there was, that was an early, uh, that was the first time I'd ever, discovered or found or heard of the Camino de Santiago. And then you ended up a guide. Tell us that story. Well, that's um, okay. Well, it, uh, some many years after that, uh, I found myself um, uh, back now, back on the Camino, uh, walking it as, a, as an unknowing pilgrim, um, hungry to find out what on earth my life was to unfold into. And um, I'm suddenly finding myself needing to walk in silence um, uh, and, you know, writing a, finding a postcard and writing a message saying, uh, um, uh, Camino NPA in silencio. I, I, I don't speak much Spanish, but I, I wrote something on it, which I could then point when people tried to get into conversation with me. And I found myself in this, going deeper and deeper into this period of silence. And, uh, um, you know, I'd never actually experienced silence. I had no training in being silent. Um, and after um, uh, uh, seven days of walking in complete silence, um, the weather deteriorated. It's now uh, floods everywhere. And I arrived cold and tired and a little bit nervous and frightened in a church in Ose Brerero mm. and um, uh, with uh, tears streaming down my eyes and uh, mixing with the rain and the, off my poncho, I just had this, uh, you know, you were going to write a guidebook. Why would I write a guidebook? I don't speak Spanish. You will write a guidebook about the Camino de Santiago. And it became, it was so clear. And it was almost like all the classic symbols of that moment. You know, for four days, it had been not not an, an inch of sun anywhere. Suddenly, a sort of a beam of sun comes through the tiny little window in the church. And I find myself kneeling uh, at the tomb of uh, the famous parish priest, uh, uh, San Pedro Valinas, who was, you know, in a sense, remarked the uh, modern pilgrimage with his yellow arrows. Yeah. Uh, and I just felt sort of somehow, it all, almost like a, some sort of baton had been sort of handed to me. And I just said, well, okay. I, I, nev I never looked back or thought twice about it having had that initial doubt, what on earth, why on earth, well, what would I write? Um, and then it came together very quickly. Uh, um, I found myself, um, you know, writing it. It just, you know, words came and I wrote them down. And, um, uh, and that's how the book came. So what year was that, John? Well, that was, that was about 1997. Okay, so yes. there were probably tens of thousands of people relying on your scholarship. How does that responsibility sit with you? Well, you know, I don't, I don't really see that in, in that way. I, I, I see what, I, um, what um, and it's, you know, it's really what came, what is, if you like, is coming through me <clears throat> once I get my own sort of 
ego out of the way is a sense of um, and we're allowing sounds a little uh, a little grandiose, but there's a sort of sense about um, naming my own journey as being, uh, you know, part of a, a mystical journey, a spiritual journey of, of, of discovery, of self-discovery, mm. Mm. Um, being open and vulnerable uh, in, in a very skeptical world about that. I think it sort of helps other people to feel permission to talk about it also. I mean, we've, we find this on the, on, the, on the Camino. When you're on the Camino, uh, there's very few places in the world where you can sit at a, a cafe at 11 o'clock in the morning and sit down with a total stranger and say, you know, um, talk about deep, meaningful, intimate, spiritual matters. I mean, yeah. it, 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 so the Camino has that great gift. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I mean, in a sense, uh, you know, I support just as you support and as we support each other, we support each other to talk about the things that, that, that in a way should really matter, the big questions. Um, and what, you know, what I'm very clear about, what, what I don't, don't offer, don't share, um, is, is, is what the... What individual answers we all get, because of course we all have a, a unique journey to make. Uh, but we, we, I feel as a as a Caminoite, I feel a very much part of a Camino family. I, I, you know, I've never met you, but I know you, and I know you as a brother, and I mean that absolutely, Dan. I can honestly say here, the other side of the world, never having met you, I love you. You know, I, I feel that. Regularly, uh, and now I'm up to this. You are my 131st interview for this podcast. Um, uh, eventually, I'd love to get to a stage where people can walk the entire Camino Frances listening to my podcasts the entire way. And and it's so true that you that you just what you just said there. You know, you reach out across the world, and I love you. And all of these people that I speak with, I can hear it, and sense it, and indeed feel it. And love Ooh. is a very, very important emotion, full stop. And you can, you can prophesize all you like, and you can talk all you like about the meaning of life, but really love is what it comes down to. We can talk about spirituality, and we can talk about religion, and we can talk about faith, but all of those things are based on love. And we, in my view, only get back what we give. So if we give love, we get back love. And being a pilgrim, that was the most overwhelming thing for me, was when you sat in a little cafe and talked to somebody and looked into their eyes and said, I'm just going to listen to you for half an hour. You just talk. Mm -hmm. And you're giving them a little bit of your love. And it, to me, sums up what it's all about. And that's a very, very powerful thing you just said there, John. I, I, that's, that's extraordinary. When you walk, and you still walk regularly, in, mm -hmm. indeed you've been walking this summer, I know, to update your guides. And that must be kind of, I suppose, a sense of it never finishes for you because you, know, you have to keep updating them all the time. Do you tell people who you are? Do you tell them I'm the bloke who ride, wrote the guide that you have in your hand? 
No, I, 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 I try, and without hopefully anybody, any of your listeners feeling I'm being dishonest, I try and go incognito. Um, I, I really, it is not helpful for the work that I do uh, when I'm recognized. And um, I'm usually recognized quite quickly on the on the main Camino. I mean, when I'm walking, for instance, I've been, you know, walk somewhere, there's a, a new Weimar Camino that, that starts in Budapest in Hungary um, and goes all the way through Hungary into Austria, all the way through Austria into Switzerland, all the way through oh. Switzerland. Um, oh. So one Camino. So when I'm on those Caminos, um, I'm incognito. There's very few people uh, who, would know, who would know me. And um, in some of the more remote Ones I'm writing a guidebook at the moment about the Camino in Vienna, which is the winter route which runs uh, um, along the River Seal. And there there's very few pilgrims and uh, maybe pilgrims who will, um, you know. So the reason why um, is because, again, one of the most powerful things to me about the Camino is when you meet somebody on the Camino, you meet them as a fellow traveler, a fellow seeker, um, usually... Um, what happens is somebody feels a connection, a deep connection, deeper than friendship. It's usually family. People talk about that Camino family. Um, and that connection can be very deep and very powerful. Um, but when somebody recognizes somebody, all your history comes with it. Your baggage, if you like, comes yeah. with it. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's a great freedom about meeting somebody on the Camino, when you meet somebody, by definition, there's no history. How can you have a judgment? How can you have a prejudice about somebody? You, you don't know You don't know even their name at that stage. So there's something wonderfully freeing about walking the Camino and meeting people along the way, and that immediately stops when you recognize somebody. Now, the other thing, of course, is that when I'm walking uh, now, um, I have to update, and there's now... When I started this, I never thought, of course, that if the books were to be successful, um, they had to be up to date. So I had this vision of writing 12 books about the, you know, the 12 major routes. But, of course, as soon as I started writing them, I realized they had to go back uh, every year because they yeah. change every year. And people, you know, need to have the confidence to know, well, this book's up to date. Um, so I have to – and you can't do that just on the web. You actually have to go and walk it because people say, well, something in Alberta there is closed and you go and find that actually it's not closed. It was just closed for repairs or whatever or whatnot. So all these things need to be investigated out. And um, I'm uh, a man, a classical man, in the sense that I, I'm – can only focus on one thing at a time. I never met a man ever who could focus on two things, and I'm one of the, those who can only focus on the one. So when I'm out there thinking about, now, how, why are people getting lost? Why, why are they looking at the guidebook there? What, what, what's confusing them? So I'm constantly having to be aware um, in order to shape the guidebooks to meet what people are, are needing to see. And if I'm walking, talking to you, and we're walking along the place, I suddenly miss that there's a new water fountain being placed by the local council. And I missed it because we were chatting uh. um, about walkabout in Australia. And suddenly, you know, we've been walking for an hour and I've missed an hour's worth of new information. So I have to be terribly focused. When I meet somebody who recognizes me, I say, you know, we have a chat. I say, look, maybe... Um, I stop, I don't move. I say, look, 
I absolutely, you know, it'd be lovely to see you maybe at the next cafe or tonight or maybe we meet for supper or wherever or whatnot. But right now, I am, I'm afraid I can't take a step with you because I have to stay focused on the, on the job I have. Uh, and I can't walk, talk and research. So <laughs> most people understand that. I remember walking on the Masetta. I ran to, into an Australian pilgrim, a fellow named Vince, very Australian name, Vince. And it was interesting, actually. He was walking 10 metres in front of his wife, about 33 feet. But they just kept that same pace, that same distance the whole time. And I thought, why doesn't he slow down and she speed up? But he was from Bu- he was from Bundaberg in central Queensland. That's cane country, knockabout place. There are no fuss people in Bundaberg, I can tell you, John. And I asked him, and I said, where are you walking today, Vince? And he said to me, to the top of the page. <laughs> now, now, some people say that you've created a blueprint in some respects, perhaps even taking the spontaneity out of the Camino. What do you say to them? Well, I, I say it, it is amazing the number of people uh, who come up with that. And I try every year, I put in black or red print or bold print, I say, you, I can only put so much information on a page. I can only fill in um, relevant information onto a small page that you're carrying there to fit maybe 20 or 25, 30 kilometers, which is so happens what most people can walk in a day. But I say absolutely time and again, you have to find your own pace. You have to find where you want to stay. Uh, but I also tend to um, naturally end off in a place where when somebody arrives, having walked to the top of the page, if that's what they're doing, they're likely to find accommodation. Um, because that's what the main concern of most pilgrims is at the end of the day, when nightfall comes, they've got somewhere to sleep. Um, but I I'm, I'm at pains right at the very start of the book, and I don't. It's not much space to repeat myself, but I repeat it three times in three different ways. I say, find your own place and work out, you know, where you want to stop at the end of the day. Um, if you want quieter places, go to the quieter places in between the end of the pages, and you will find less accommodation but less people. Um, find out what suits you, um, uh, but. It, 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 Taking the spontaneity out cannot be right. That is the responsibility of the individual person walking. Um, and and I, I cannot and will not accept yeah. responsibility for conditioning people uh, to walk to the end of the page. What a, um, yeah, what about the critics who say, and I'm sure you've heard them, that John Briley said it's 11Ks, my GPS says it's 14. If he was right here right now, I'd tell him, I'd tell you yes, that, that Briley... Do you sometimes wake in fear? Yes, and it is absolutely (laughs) fascinating. And every single email I've ever had that says... Uh, your your uh, you know your it usually says you know your distances are uh, were fine except coming into uh, um, uh, Burgos or a step coming into the end of the page when they say it it it, it uh, I think that you should check that out because it was twice the distance and this is a very important point twice the distance because again I'm at pains but maybe people don't read it the last four kilometers of a long day on the road is the equivalent of eight kilometers in terms of time and effort. That is simply a reality 
for 99% of all walkers, which is why I never put timing. I always put a distance and I always say, don't forget the last four kilometers of the day are going to feel to you and are going to take twice the distance of the first four. <laughs> I love, I can hear you slap, putting your hand on the table, make, making that point. <laughs> now, it, it, right. I know you're happy, yeah. you are happy to answer questions via you, your website. I mean, in fairness, here I am being, in a sense, critical of you and, and, or providing some feedback to you, but CaminoGuides.com, you're more than happy to answer questions via your website. In, in fairness, CaminoGuides.com. But let me ask you a couple of very simple questions. How many Caminos have you walked? Well, I, I, I've walked. Uh, I walked part or all of the uh, of, of the major routes, um, and uh, I've been walking. I mean, I live probably half the year on the Camino, so I'm walking. Um, I'm walking thousands of kilometers along the Caminos every year. I mean, somebody asked me recently how many, you know, Compostelas do I have? Well, I have one, but I would be entitled to well over 100. Right. If I, if I asked for one every time I arrived in, having walked, the, you know, walked the Camino. Uh, because don't forget, I'm coming into Santiago along the, the Camino Inglés, from, back from Finisterre, I'm coming along from Porto or Rense or the Camino San Andres or Frances or the Camino del Norte. I'm coming in to, to Santiago four, five, six times a year. So you're saying that you've arrived in Santiago a hundred times potentially? Oh, well over a hundred times, yes. Goodness. Yes. Do you still get a yes. thrill? Well, yes. I mean, I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, I absolutely love the freedom and the space. Uh, I, I think walking is a, a, a walking meditation is one of the most powerful forms of meditation um, that I know. Um, one of the one of the most beautiful uh, walks and most enlightening walks I had. I'd stayed. Uh, for come some weeks in the ashram of a man called a wonderful Vietnamese monk called Thich Nhat Hanh, who has a, a, an ashram, and in fact, just on the Bézalé on the Bézalé route, one of the routes coming in through France. And I walk from there, and his practice is mindful walking. That's what he does with his with his uh, monks and his uh, community, um, walking very slowly, mindfully. And um, uh, the, a mindfulness comes, uh, I think, in walking. We often walk out. I think a lot of people, if I was to say to many of my business colleagues or, uh, you know, who need to take a month and go on, 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 on a meditation for a month, they think that I was nuts. Uh, but to mm -hmm. say we'll go on Camino for a month, uh, and, and what happens is after a week or so, you know, we've emptied out the minds, you know, whether we left the fridge door open when we left is really a, it's immaterial. Um, you know, whether we did the bank transfers, well, we did or we didn't. You know, after three weeks, we've probably forgotten our bank manager's name. I mean, there's this wonderful emptying out process that happens in the share, in just the simple act of taking one step after another, walking through nature, through what I call the landscape temple, because that's what it is. Uh, we, we, we walk through this magnificent, look at, the, look at the, 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 the ceiling of this cathedral we have, it's constantly changing. Um, so yes, no, it, it's a very therapeutic, uh, I, I've never once uh, walked a Camino and, and trudged into 
Santiago or Finisterre or anywhere else and felt, why on earth am I doing this? <laughs> no, the moment I did, I would stop, I think. I have the copy of uh, your guide, the Camino Frances guide in front of me. Is that you on the front cover? No. Let's just go back to the front page. What do you call a mystical journey? How do you explain the energy of the Camino to people who ask you about it? Well, I would say the first thing is uh, um, it, it's it's a journey. It's it's a, a journey that we take simultaneously along a physical route. If in this case we're talking about the Camino Française, which you know the modern starting point is Saint Jean Pied de Port, but wherever you start, uh, you can start in Budapest if you want. Um, you, there is a physical path along which we haul our body. That's the practical. That's why I, that's there. Uh, that subtitle was very much firmly told. That's the game <laughs> very clear. That had to be the title. So it's a practical journey <clears throat> along a path. An old pilgrim path, very ancient. This is way, way pre-Christian. I mean, we think of it as a Christian route, uh, and, and indeed the great flurry of activity that happened uh, when the um, the Holy Land, uh, Palestine, was lost to the Christian cause and uh, became a Muslim uh, when that when that happened, you couldn't go on pilgrimage anymore to Jerusalem. Or, uh, so you have this massive swing in the eighth, uh, in the ninth, tenth, eleventh centuries towards Santiago. But thousands of years before that, people had walked to Finisterre, to the end of the known world, to watch the sun sink down on the western horizon, to Tin and Og, the land of eternal youth. This is a very, very ancient route, pilgrimage route. So there's their physical path. But what turns it from a hiking route into a pilgrimage route is that it also, and crucially, is an inner journey of self-discovery. And that's the mystical part, because we don't know who we are. That's the mystery. And in order to find out and discover who we are, we have to admit that we do not know. That's the crucial starting point of a pilgrim. I don't know who I am. If we think we know who we are, there's nothing to discover. There's no mystery. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that you have discovered this extraordinary insight uh, and made it your life's journey, your life's Camino in many ways. Are you surprised by the, the course your life has taken? The turning point for me, an absolute turning point, and it happened somewhere, I can't actually sort of identify what year or when, but there came a point where I realised that my life was a journey. My life is a Camino. What else is it? My life is a Camino, and the Camino is a path of self-discovery. I'm on the Camino right now talking to you. I can never, once I accept and realize that, I can never not be on the Camino. I can never not be on that. I can forget, and I do forget, but, you know, suddenly something hits me, and, ah, okay, so this is the journey, and the journey has some smooth 
nice terrain with good cafes along the way and it has some hellishly rugged things where I, am I ever going to get up to the top of this bloody hill uh, you know in the bed at the end of the day so so but 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 then when I realize it's a journey everything becomes exciting so there's no room at the end oh my god I'm right here you must be a bed I'll sleep no no new insurance policies can't sleep on the floor out I go again and then uh, I, I oh ah so this is I'm being asked to discover something about myself that I didn't know, you know, how do I face this disappointment now? Um, so when I know and realize and remember that it's a journey of discovery, of self-discovery, that everything becomes exciting, then I get the courage to continue. Okay, so I'm being asked to go on to find another place. Maybe I'm going to stay in a church porch tonight. Who knows? I don't know. But I believe that somehow I'm being asked to learn something about myself. So then, then, then there's no, there's no disaster. Everything then is just a, 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 a terribly exciting point of discovery. You're going to be in Australia later this year, presenting workshops and speeches. As I said earlier, I've done almost 135 interviews for this podcast, and I always ask a series of questions about the to and fro of pilgrimage. And over the course of the last two and a half years, I've asked most of my guests if they are spreadsheet pilgrims, if they make grand plans for their pilgrimage. Now, you walk often, as you said, still today. Do you, uh, dare I say, the, the king of advice, do you do a lot of planning? Are you, John Briley, a spreadsheet pilgrim? Well, I think I think perhaps I, I, it's a new term. I haven't come across that. I think perhaps I was in my first pilgrimage. I wanted to get every guidebook there was and find out and do web searches and whatever and whatnot. <laughs> I'm sure I going back a long time um, because don't forget they're going back. You know, going back to 1987 or going back 30 years um, when I was starting to plan. Uh, um, my first Camino, so I'm sure, I'm sure I'd sure did all that searching, um, but then of course the real power and the real excitement of the journey is being spontaneous because um, that's where the real meat and the juice, I think, of the of the self discovery part comes. Um, uh, let me give you a little example. I met a woman um, last year whose children had given her, she was 70, and her children had given her first 70th birthday a Camino um, for her birthday. So off she went. But they had uh, done it with a company, and the company, of course, had organized um, all her spreadsheets for her. So she knew she had an end of the page that she couldn't elongate because, you know, she went to point B, and there's, there her accommodation was reserved for her. And she was um, not weeping, but she was very distressed when I saw her sitting on a, a low wall and sat with her <clears throat> this particular day. And she said, the problem is, she said, there are times when I come into where I'm supposed to be staying and I just want to go on and I 
don't want to stop and other places where I think, will I ever going to make this place where I've got to get to because my accommodation is reserved? And she said, the spontaneity is out of it completely. She said, I would never walk this way again. So that was an interesting insight to me. And I think that for those of us who, who, who and again, there's no right or wrong in this, but please, for anybody listening to this, absolutely no question of that. We each have our own Camino. We each take it in our own way. Mm. However, um, we do take it on different levels. And um, each way we do it has a consequence. And a consequence of walking to the end of the page and booking your accommodation at the end of the page in advance, um, having done your homework and so on and so forth, means that you inevitably, uh, the consequence of that is that you lose some of the, the spontaneity that comes. Um, so it's, it, 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 it's absolutely a Camino, but it's a different Camino from somebody who simply sets out in the morning and hasn't a clue where they're going to stay that night. The experience is different for both. Both, yeah. are, both are totally valid, but both are different. Indeed, indeed. So being a pilgrim and someone who walks regularly, what's the first thing you pack in your backpack? <laughs> um, gosh, but now uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to answer this as a guidebook writer because, um, you know, I'm, I'm just packed yesterday because to, to, I'm, I'm going off shortly back onto the Camino. And the first uh, thing I pack there and make sure it's right is my Sunto GPS uh, uh, um, watch to make sure that um, I can, it's in good working order and I'm <laughs> going to be attached to 28 satellites uh, as I walk through to oh. make sure that those last four kilometers that everybody is complaining about at the end of the day is in fact correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Now, what's the most common mistake pilgrims make in planning and packing for their Camino? They overplan and overpack. Everybody does it. Okay. How much training should I do? Uh, everybody plans to uh, uh, go out and do whatever. I would be surprised if, if, if more than 5% of people do, 95%, because they're taking a month off to go and walk the Camino. They're by definition twice as busy as they normally are, and they don't even have time to do their normal park walk, let alone a hike at the weekend um, and so they arrive at the start of their Camino with uh, exhausted physical muscles and atrophied spiritual muscles <laughs> but that's what we all do and the Camino then works its magic and somehow we survive and we continue but um, over planning is, is a classic and particularly the backpacks I mean I put in uh, the post location of post offices um, um, and it's a, a uh, particularly at the first week in after starting points um, so that people can have an opportunity to post back stuff uh, that they don't need or realise they don't, don't need or to leave it behind or give it to somebody else. Um, nearly everybody packs too much stuff. And when you arrive in Santiago, you find out. And that, of course, is the, one of the first initial prime lessons of the, of the, Camino, of the Camino pilgrimage is realising how little we need. Mm. It's a wonderful lesson. Yeah. Um, and how all these burdens we have, we burden ourselves, not only our mind, but our backpack, with all the stuff, the second Swiss Army 
penknives, a second pair of shoes, a second pair of this, that, the other. Well, you could only wear one pair of shoes at a time. Now, it's quite useful to have a little light pair of plimsolls or something or open sandals when you go in at the end of the day. But, <clears throat> but most people are packing too much. And don't forget that the, the, the advantage of the modern-day pilgrim over the medieval one is that every single town along the way <clears throat> will, will sell you a pair of um, socks or uh, walking poles or uh, whatever it else you need. So if you have something that you find that you need or is broken or you've lost along the way, well, you can get it in the next town. What, what if I'm not spiritual or religious? What if I'm not, ah. what if I'm not one of those people? Is the Camino for me? <laughs> yes, yes, because fundamentally we're all spiritual. We're spiritual beings. But assuming that we don't believe that we're a spiritual being, fine. I would say to you that probably I meet more atheists, <clears throat> more agnostics en route than I do people of any particular persuasion. Now, obviously, uh, you know, uh, it, it's difficult to know uh, in passing you know, whether I'm walking with a, an atheist or a, a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist um, or whatever. However, um, I do tend to find that the people I easily fall into conversation with who really want to, who are really seeking and searching for something interesting are often um, skeptics, uh, are often agnostics, are atheists. Um, and so what happens on the Camino <clears throat> uh, is that by the very fact that for thousands of years, tens of millions of people have walked this route with a high intention and a high purpose, this is a very strong impulse on this route. Over there in Australia, you're familiar with the Aboriginal song lines um, right beautifully so there is a an incredibly powerful energy and even the most uh, the person who is the least sensitive to energy uh, um, you cannot not be affected by this by this sheer volume of people seeking uh, the perennial deep existential questions answers to them so Something always happens. I've never met the most, the biggest skeptic who started off in Saint Jean Pied de Port, who I didn't meet at the end of the world in Finisterre. Who said, "Well, I don't know what the hell happened there, John, but something happened," <laughs> <laughs> because something, something always happens. You sounded like an Irishman then. That was funny. <laughs> Tell us about your Australian tour. Do you have the details with you? I do, yes. It's more or less sort of, you know, coalesced now into firm dates in different places. So I I arrive in um, Adelaide on the um, uh, on Friday the 11th of October, which is the 10th um, uh, year annual, uh, it's a conference of the uh, American Pilgrim, uh, Friends of the Pilgrim Association, and it takes place over the weekend of the 11th to the 13th um, of October in Adelaide. And the idea was to draw together pilgrims from all over Australia to chew on, you know, the Camino, how it might, uh, you know, what, what it's achieved so far and where the association, Australian association, might might go from here, how to be 
uh, available and of use to people who want to explore life through the Camino and how to how to achieve that over the next 10 years. I, 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 they've been there, uh, it was inaugurated about 10 years ago. After that, to, to Melbourne, there's a, uh, the Melbourne uh, Pilgrim uh, Association in Melbourne. I then go up to a little place called Bendigo. I, is that the right pronunciation? Or Bendigo? Bendigo. Uh, there's another presentation. Uh, uh, then I go to Brisbane, uh, to talk with the Brisbane group um, and say talk to is talking with. This is very much about you know this isn't uh, this isn't a lecture tour. It's a meeting with Pilgrim family to discuss and chew on the the uh, title essentially of the Camino as a path of awakening. That's the sort of the sort of headline. Uh, discussion point that we're looking at. Uh, the Camino as a path of inquiry, as a path of awakening. And then from Brisbane, I go up to the Sunshine Coast in a place called Mudjimba. That's on Sunday the 20th. And then I head on down to Sydney um, on the, uh, where there'll be a sort of a meeting of the Sydney and Central Coast groups uh, scheduled for the 24th of October. Uh, and then at the that weekend, uh, the, uh, there's a sort of a, a gathering, a jamboree of uh, the uh, Central uh, Sydney and Blue Mountain groups um, up in the uh, Blue Mountains and Blackheath, uh, where there's sort of a, a weekend gathering up there. And uh, that's on the weekend of the 25th, 26th, 27th of October. You've done a stack of workshops and talks and meets and greets with pilgrims. What's the one thing they ask you more than anything? Gosh, um, no one's asked me that question before. Um, I suppose it's... um, All right, I'll have to say, if I'm truthful, I don't want to say this, but if I'm truthful, the big question that... The question more people ask me than anything else is, if I start at such and such a point, um, what do I need to do to ensure that I get a, a Compostela at the end of my journey? That's a need to feel somehow validated that as a pilgrim. Mm. Um, and ma- many people feel that need, and they will feel that need until they no longer feel that need, and that feeling will eventually go when we realize that the actual authority, the actual award, the only person who can actually provide me with a Compostela is myself. I'm the only person who can actually has the authority and the necessary wherewithal to say, yes, John, this was a pilgrimage that you've walked. Um, and it's that sense of an inner authority uh, that, 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 that I think is the ultimate searching, is to find that it's not some external authority, it's our own internal authority. It's our own internal, if you like, God self. And if we don't like God self, our own inner sense of pure love, um, awareness, pure awareness, that's what we're ultimately searching for. And nobody can give us a certificate to say that we found that because we're the only ones who will ever know whether we found it or not. You know, the, the, the popularity of the Camino continues 
to increase, the numbers continue, continue to climb. Is it at, at risk of being overloved, John? I don't think so. And I tell you how I, there was a time when I, I thought to myself, yes, and I used to write about, you know, the uh, killing the golden, the goose that laid the golden eggs mm, and yeah. all sort of thing. Um, but no, I absolutely don't feel that anymore um, um, for a hundred different reasons. Um, one is, as I said earlier, uh, you know, my sense is that we're all on a Camino. It doesn't matter where we are. Uh, you know, we're all on a life's journey. I mean, we're, you know, we came into this world, we're in a body, and eventually this body will be left to die, and we'll go on the journey. The journey, we're on a journey. Everybody acknowledges that we're on a journey through what we call life here. Now, having said that, um, everybody goes on this journey. I've never met anybody who, who didn't. They go, they say, well, I'm going to have a hike now. I've got three, four weeks off. I'm going to go for this thing they call the Camino. And you get guidebooks coming out. You know, in America, you get lots of them coming there, you know, hiking the Camino to Santiago. Fine, go off and hike it, but something will happen on that hike. Now, many people um, need um, a company and a sense of belonging, particularly people walking on their own, maybe women walking on their own. You've got this tremendous sense of camaraderie that you get on the Francaise as you, you feel safe on it um, and you can go on it. Now, having then walked, and don't forget, 60% of all the pilgrims arriving in Santiago um, um, arrive on the Camino Francaise. You know, you have quarter of a million people on the Camino Francaise and uh, along the Camino San Abres or along the Camino in Vienna, uh, you have 25 people last year. Mm. So if you quiet and action, you then, but having had the confidence of to know how the Camino works with the crowds along the Camino Francaise, you can, many people go back to do the Camino Francaise because they love that camaraderie. They love this sense of being part of this massive uh, groundswell of humanity walking toward that serves many people I, otherwise why would they do it again and again and again for me I'm looking for a quieter more reflective route in which case I won't be walking the Camino Francaise I will walk it to, to, to update it but not to go uh, and find peace and quiet I have your book my copy of your book in front of me Inside the front cover, it says, within the crucible that is pilgrimage is a remarkable alchemical reaction that takes place and burns away the dross we have collected in our lives so that, over time, only the purest gold remains. We are lucky, John, are we not? Yes, I, I, I don't disagree. Now, don't forget, we can, we can, we can all the, the crucial. The Camino is a crucible. I accept that entirely, and I'm very lucky and very grateful uh, that I have discovered the Camino as a crucible within which all this uh, transformational process happens. Um, but the crucible can be in and comes in many, many different ways. We can't, the whole of humanity, 7 billion people can't walk the Camino de Santiago. So each in their own way creates or finds their own crucible. For some, it's the church, monasteries, it's uh, ashrams, it's however we discover it. Um, walking the song lines, uh, uh, going walk about in Australia. I, I don't know, how, but each of us obviously will find a crucible once we 
have come to a point of saying there must be more to my life mm. than being John Briley, a guidebook writer. Mm. Um, and when we start asking those big questions, then, as you uh, and I have both, the Camino called us. We heard the call of the Camino and we answered, and it provided this crucible and this transformational process for us. Am I grateful for that? Hugely grateful. Wonderful. Privileged. Fantastic. However, it came about because my life was in meltdown. I didn't know what it was about. I was going through this existential crisis. Now, anybody, if you're living in Kuwait or Honolulu uh, and you're having a that big, deep searching is welling up from your heart, something will call you. Something is calling you. And, you know, it mightn't be the Camino, but it, something else will come into your life that will provide that crucible. In our case, it's the Camino. Wonderful. Thank you, Camino. Yeah, pilgrims walk for a range of reasons, for forgiveness, for insight, for motivation, to lose weight, to get over a divorce or something, to find something. But for me, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I found clarity. I found what I was looking for somewhere along the way. If I could ask you for one word that sums up the Camino for you, what would it be? Openness. If I could pick you up and place you at one spot on all the Caminos you have walked, somewhere you would like to be right now, where would it be? One of the quieter Caminos. I, you know, I really don't, I really feel at home and purposeful on any of the routes. I have no preference. Finally, if you could whisper something into the ear, of a 21-year-old John Briley, given all the journeys you've taken, this wonderful contribution that you have made to the lives of hundreds of thousands of people all around the world, what would it be? Keep an open heart. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a great pleasure. I remember lying on my bunk in Sahun about to begin my first Camino. The sun was setting, church bells ringing in the distance, and I thought I was on the adventure of a lifetime. And I was. I was reading your guide full of promise and potential, ideas and understanding. So thank you for being the companion and company for so many pilgrims. And dare I say to you, John Briley, Buen Camino. <laughs> well, bless you, Dan. How wonderful. Uh, and it's been a great pleasure for me, uh, as always. Thank you. My guest this week, the legendary guidebook author, John Briley. You can find all the information you need, books, recommendations, maps, everything, at CaminoGuides.com. The American writer and poet Jack Kerouac said, there was nowhere to go but everywhere. Walk on, pilgrims. My new album, Duende, is out worldwide August 23rd. As Australians are fond of saying, it's all happening. Thanks for your company today, tonight, wherever you are around the world. I'm Dan Mullins and Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way.